Hello? Allison? Oh, sorry. I was still on mute. I was talking to you. Did that, that all sounded okay? I was encouraging you, but you couldn't okay, hear. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, fantastic. I can't believe this is our last one. Yeah, I can't believe this is our last one. Uh, going to take a little water, and then, then I'm going to nail it. Okay. Hi, I'm Adam Greenfield, and you're listening to Soundstage, Theater for Your Ears, a new podcast from Playwrights Horizons. This week, we are on episode seven, and it's a musical, and we had so much fun making this, and it's called The Edge of Night, with book, music, and lyrics by Kirsten Childs, and directed by Awoye Timpo. Episode seven, y'all, this is the last episode of our first season, and I'm not even going to talk about how I feel kind of emotional about that. If you're only just joining us, you're in luck. Go back and listen to the first six episodes. And in case you're worried, take heart. This isn't just a COVID-era program. We've already been hard at work commissioning more great writers for season two. So more episodes are on their way in 2021. We've been saving this one for last because Kirsten Childs is a legend, a master playwright, and an icon. At least she is in my household. She writes musicals that are entirely singular. On the surface, they're bright and breezy, picaresques, that are wild and untethered, and addictive in their charm. She weaves incredible yarns, often leaving reality behind in favor of a fantasy. But in all of her musicals, that lightness is a deception. It's just the surface. Writing under her work is a current of anxiety, a shadow of oppression, as her work confronts the brutal problems of racial identity and injustice in our culture. And her compositions contain that tension as well. On the surface, her melodies are simple, even hummable, but they have a way of turning on themselves, shifting seamlessly from pop-infused brightness and effervescence into a disarming, shadowy, minor-key subversion. If you go to Spotify, you can listen to original cast albums for her musicals The Bubbly Black Girl Sheds Her Chameleon Skin and Bella An American Tall Tale, both of which premiered at Playwrights Horizons. Do yourself a favor and listen to these, truly. Hit the little arrow that takes you back 15 seconds to hear those titles again. This time, write them down, and then go to Spotify, or better yet, buy the albums. But first, you're about to hear Episode 7 of Soundstage, The Edge of Night, a musical recollection from Kirsten's family history. African ancestors were. I don't know where they came from. I don't know if they were dragged, kicking and screaming and fighting like hell, or if they meekly marched, head down, subdued and shackled, into that merchant vessel of shame that brought them into this new world. But there is one thing I think has to be true. Somebody in my mother's ancestral line was a griot, an oral historian, a storyteller. Because my mother used to tell me the most wonderful stories. Stories about her family. Like the one about her grandmother from South Carolina. The one everybody called Mammy. The one who had Indian blood. Now, my mother didn't know to use the words Native American back then. But Native American's what she meant. Though she never really did want us to go around telling anybody. Because as she said, Now listen here, Kirsten. Some folks think you're nothing but mine. In no other race gets mixed in your blood. I don't go for that yakety yak. 
Cause no matter what, you're black. You got it? Yes, Mommy. Anyway, just so you all know, I'm black. Rest in peace, Mom. But my great-grandmother Mammy had Native American blood and cold black skin and hair down to her behind and purple gums. My mother was very specific about those purple gums. And she would have a great big smile on her face like a little girl when she would say it. What do purple gums even look like? I've always wondered. To this day, I still don't know. But my mother knew because Mammy's purple gums were part of what made her beautiful to my mother. I always wondered if Mammy liked her gums or if they embarrassed her, like my mother's hands embarrassed my mother, even as I found them beautiful. Her butterscotch-colored hands work roughened from helping her mother do years and loads of laundry, veins prominent, finely etched like life-giving river tributaries. My favorite story my mother ever told me, however, had to do with her own mother, my grandmother, and the soap opera my grandmother loved to watch called The Edge of Night. What happened took place in the 1950s in the segregated South, in the city of Wilmington in the state of North Carolina. That's the story I really wanted to tell you today. So, here it is. This is a tale about my grandmother, Mrs. Annie Brown. Annie had to do some shopping, had to go downtown to the shopping center where the folks were all white. It was beyond the to go to Belk's department store because she had expensive tastes. And there was a bus that took you from her side of town over to the white neighborhood where Belk's was. So on that fateful day, she boarded a bus that took her swiftly past fields and woods, away from high-up prices for lesser goods, to a place where cheap for better was the people's right far far beyond the edge of night now grandma had to make it home before the late afternoon because if there was one thing she loved almost as much as her stylish clothes from belks and her seven children and her husband my grandfather william brown it was soap operas my grandmother loved the soaps. And her favorite one was the one everybody and their mother watched. Movie stars, politicians, writers, royalty. Everybody loved the edge of night. Her soap was on. Jimmy. 
was taking your life into your own hands. I say stand back. Okay, you probably didn't take your life into your hands. I was just using hyperbole for emphasis. See, my mother would do something like that when she was telling the story. Use hyperbole for emphasis, and then she'd go... That wasn't true what I just said, Kirsten. I was using hyperbole for emphasis. And then I, like a fool, would ask, What does hyperbole mean, Mommy? That's a good question. Let's go look it up. Oh, no, Mommy, please just finish the story. No, 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 no. I'm going to finish the story, but wait a minute. Let me get the dictionary. Here it is. Let's look up the word hyperbole. So we'd look up the word hyperbole, and then I'd have to come up with several examples of it in a sentence before we could get back to the story. You know, whoever my griot ancestors were back in Africa, I am pretty sure that they were the kind of storytellers that love to go off on tangents. And as you can see, that trait continues to be strong in my line. So where was I? Oh, yeah. Things were going along swimmingly at the shopping center until Grandma happened to glance at her watch. Oh, no. There was barely enough time left to catch the bus. And if she missed this bus, another one wouldn't be coming for at least a half an hour. Which meant she would miss her story. The thought was unbearable. So Grandma got in the line and then paid her total grabbed her receipt hurried out her high heels clacking quickly quickly down the street waved her hands and called out loudly bus driver only to watch him She was stranded, smack dab in the middle of the whitest of white neighborhoods, in the Jim Crowiest of the Jim Crow South. No idea where the closest black neighborhood was. Forget about asking someone close by to let her in to watch her soap. That was tantamount to suicide. Now, the most reasonable thing she could have done was to stay at the bus stop and wait for the next bus. But Grandma was not in the mood to be reasonable. No, no, she was Orpheus. The edge of night was Eurydice, and she was going to brave the bowels of segregated hell to be with her true love. Hoping against hope she could make it to the black part of town in time, Grandma went to walking. Walking down the sidewalk, her back foot really stepped. She was running out of time. sound. The opening theme song coming from that house two doors down. Grandma, don't do it. These people will shoot you just for being in their neighborhood. That soap opera's not worth your life. But all she could think about was... And in that moment, 
that sensible, strong matriarch to seven children, one of whom was my mother, didn't give a rat's patootie about white people, about crossing uncrossable boundaries, about threats to her life. She heard that theme song, and she made a beeline straight to that house, flying up those steps to pound loudly and desperately on that door. Pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding until it opened. And when it opened, a white woman stood at the door. She stared at my grandmother, my wild-eyed, out-of-breath, crazed-looking grandmother. The white woman looked back into her house at the TV. Then she looked back again at my grandmother. Then she looked back at the TV. Then back again at my grandmother. Then tight-lipped, stern-faced and silent, that white woman grabbed her door and she immediately, immediately opened it wider to let my grandmother in. The two of them sat in that living room, watching that soap from beginning to end. Never looking at each other, never speaking one word. And when the show was over, my grandmother nodded her thanks, got up, went to the door, and walked out. Telling stories reminds us that we are all human. Telling stories also lets little saucy black girls know their mothers love them. Even if those mothers do make them look up words they don't particularly want to. On one afternoon at 4 p.m. in the 1950s, for about 30 minutes, telling stories opened up the closed door of segregation. Now, I don't know if art can save the world, but I do know this. Ain't nothing wrong with a good soap, especially one that points out that we're all stumbling through the darkness, praying that the dawn will be beyond the edge of night beyond the edge of night beyond the edge of night Thanks for listening to this episode of Soundstage. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast fix. That's the best way you can help us connect with more adventurous listeners like yourself. This season of Soundstage is made possible by a grant from the Sherman Foundation's Axel G. and Catherine Rosine Fund. The Edge of Night was written and composed by Kirsten Childs and directed by Awoye Timpo. The series line producer is Allison Koch. Sound design by Alishaba Etoup. Music direction by Gary Aturio. Recorded at Studio G, Brooklyn. Engineered by Chris Cubetta. Mixed by Gary Aturio. Casting by Katie Meister-Huben. Darlesia Searcy played Mabel and was a vocalist. Brandon Gill was also a vocalist. Amber Iman played KC, short for the playwright herself. Additional vocalists were Kevin Massey and Jasmine Walker. Piano by Alan Markley. Flute by Julie Pacheco and the other instruments you heard were played by Gary Aturio and Chris Cubetta. The series is produced by Playwrights Horizons, a not-for-profit theater company in New York City. If you like what you heard, 
You can support the Soundstage program by texting SOUNDSTAGE20 to 44321. Your donation will allow us to commission more artists, complete production on more podcasts, and continue to provide our writers with a much-needed creative outlet during these unprecedented times. To learn more about Playwrights Horizons and how you can support more theatrical adventures like this podcast, visit us online at soundstagepodcast.org. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at soundstageph.org.